Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Amos chapter 7, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, Forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. The Lord repented for this, it shall not be, saith the Lord. Thus hath the Lord showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease. I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also should not be, saith the Lord God. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Okay, throw your ribbon in here, and for introduction, let's go back to a familiar passage in the book of Genesis, Genesis 18. Genesis 18 is a familiar passage that even the world is familiar with. If you talk to people who are not churchgoers, who are not people of the faith, almost everyone in the world has heard of the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, the land where God rained down fire and brimstone and burnt it to the ground. What's interesting is there is a little interval right before this takes place with a very specific person, that of Abraham. God lets Abraham know that these things are going to take place. And then in verse 20 of chapter 18, we come in and and we're told a little bit of why this is happening at this time. Genesis 18, 20, it says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, And because their sin is very grievous, just for a parenthetical, I I use that often because so many oftentimes homosexuals get hammered. I just want to say that here God is doing something because he says that he, he heard their cry. People want to talk about homosexuality and the sinfulness of it all the time. I am a sinner too. So are you. We may not have the same type, but we are just as guilty. The point is, though, here at this time, God heard their cry. You don't hear of the painfulness in the community 
of homosexuals, the pain that they go through. God hears their cry and the sin that was taking place. But look what happens here. This is a very interesting portion of Scripture. He says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. Now, again, this is for our own hearing because we know that God knows. So he's he, right off of that, you should have your ears perked up because then what he's doing is he's trying to teach us something. This isn't like he's going to find out. He's not going down to hear their cry to find things out. God already knows. But he's doing this and saying this for our teaching. It says in verse 22, And the men turned their faces and from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. When you see this, The reason that we're going through this passage of Scripture is because I want to just file this in your mind so that those of you who are in your walk, if you've been saved for 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, there are things that have been filed in your mind through all the Bible reading that you've done, all the preaching that you've done, and what we want to do is all that has to come to the surface when we finally get back to Amos. So even the word Abraham, what comes to your mind when you hear the word Abraham? Abraham. Let all of that then focus and swirl around your mind because there's an important reason why that particular person, Abraham, is about to do what he's about to do. So we have Abraham. Stands before the Lord here. It says in verse 23, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What's happening is Abraham is being the negotiating diplomat. Abraham at this time is being the liaison. He is the intercessor on their behalf. Lord, we all know that this is a wicked city, but as the judge of all the earth, peradventure, or perhaps there's 50 righteous people within the city limits. Certainly mercy then. And look what the Lord responds. Verse 26, And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Okay? Verse 27. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure, there shall lack five of the 50 righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for just lack of five? And he said, if I find 40 and 5, I will not destroy it. Verse 29, he spake unto him yet again and said, well, peradventure there be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for 40's sake. Look at it again. Verse 30, and he said unto him, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Peradventure there is only 30 be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Now, 
as we continue through this process, is this just an act of futility? Because we know what happened to the city. We know that God knows everything. And yet Abraham is interceding saying, well, if there's 50 here, well, okay, I won't burn it. What what if there's five missing? What if we're five short and there's only 45? I will not burn the city. Well, what if there's 30? And, And you can, like Abraham is, he knows he's, be careful here. I'm in, he's in a dangerous situation. He's interceding for those in revolt. And we know what happens in the end. So then you start to think to yourself, wait a minute. I know what he does. What he, what's going on here? Verse 31, he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. He said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. Again, in 32. He said, O Lord, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure, ten be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. What we have there is a very small remnant of the city. Even if there's only ten people, the whole city will be spared. We have interceding going on. And we have the idea of the remnant there. We also have a very important person by the name of Abraham, the father of the faith in whom a covenant was made. So again, is, was this just an act of futility? What was all that for? Because we know God rains down fire and brimstone and crushes and burns the city. We also know this isn't just man's word. This isn't just history that took place. This is the eternal word of God, which means God planned for all that to happen even before eternity. All right, then let's go over to Amos and see what's happening here as we continue teaching through this book. In Amos 7 so far, what we have is despite many warnings and declarations of impending judgment, we have a few peculiar verses that are taking place. God is saying, I will cause you to go into captivity. You're, you are going to go into captivity. Your sins and your, the way that you behave are going to cause your nation to crumble. But then we have these visions that occur in chapter 7. He says in verse 1, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. So right around when the things are the most green, God shows them a vision of grasshoppers that come and just wipe right through and eat all the vegetation down to the little snubs. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings, and he's letting us know that it was the lush time. But then look what happens. It came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, as the prophet, O Lord God, Forgive, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? He's small. He's weak. We are but dust. We are sinners, and you are God. And Lord, if you were to mark our iniquities, who would stand? So he intercedes for them. And then again in in verse 4, he says, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire. And this fire, it devoured the great deep and did eat up a part. It's a massive fire, a massive forest fire, so hot that it soaks up huge lakes, even part of the ocean. 
Um, I have to remind you that these are visions. These, this is, didn't actually happen as of yet. He's seeing visions. And so then what he does is he stands before the Lord again. Verse 5, then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he's small. And the Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. What we're learning here is the power of intercession. We're seeing grace, mercy, and law all mixed together. God has pronounced the judgment because you have broken the law. The verdict is you are guilty. Therefore, the penalty is laid out. And then because of one man intercedes for these sinners, God says, okay, I won't do it. Mercy. But we know that the book is talking about for three transgressions and for four, there's a point of no return. God is very merciful. His mercies are new every day. He is a long-suffering God, but he's not an ever-suffering God. There is a point of no return. Then something very interesting happens in the third vision that is quite unique. He says, and the Bible student will look at this and say, this is a pearl of great price, what he's showing us. Verse 7, thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord himself stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. He is standing on a sturdy wall, and it is a wall that is made with a plumb line, and he has a plumb line in his hand. He has a builder's tool that is a very long string with a weight on the end, a plumb on the end, and by this string line and by this plummet, we can make sure that the wall is exactly, perfectly straight. Straighter than a level, straighter than a laser is the plumb line. And the Lord himself is standing on this wall, which he has made via a plumb line, a perfect wall. And he holds this plumb line in his hand. Verse 8, And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. When he says pass by, those of you who are students automatically are thinking the Passover. The death angel and the destruction of God's hand will pass over. He says, now this time, I will not again pass by them anymore. The plumb line has been set. The standard has been set. And so we will, we will pay attention to this. He is, he is now at this time, he has been gracious and merciful, but now the plumb line is set. The standard is set. Now, the standard in the Word of God and in the Word of God is the Word of God. Specifically, the law. We got to remember that God is a very judicial God. He is a very legal God. When you talk of sin or transgression, what you're talking about is an infraction against the law. When we stand before God and we stand before the judge, the trial will be set and we will stand before God and give an account. And the Bible says, and the books will be open. The plumb line will be revealed of the law and we will stand there and give an account. And you won't be able to bend the rules because the plumb line is set and it is strong. It is the standard of all things. So what I would like to do is let's go back and take a look at the plumb line. Because that's what he's following here. So if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we look at the plumb line. 
Chapter 28 is Moses is, is going over all the law again, just to be sure that you that everyone who knows who's about to go into the promised land is familiar with the plumb line. We have to know the standard. We will be judged by the standard, therefore we must know the standard. And so he starts out in 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. And it says, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Then he goes on and he gives a lot of blessings. Verse 4, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body. Verse 5, blessed shall be thy basket. Verse 6, blessed shall be when thou comest in and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. But then you have the opposite. If you're obedient, you're blessed according to the standard. If you're disobedient according to the standard, there are cursed. Verse 15, but it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shall thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body. For three transgressions and for four, a fire. But look at verse 47. He shows Deuteronomy 28:47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. We don't serve God because we have to. We serve God because we get to. He has blessed us beyond measure. We are the most wealthy, powerful nation in the world. And we didn't choose to be born American citizens by his sovereign hand. He has made us the, the land really of milk and honey. And, and it was the same in Amos's day. They were in a day of prosperity. And to serve the Lord, he says, but, but you didn't serve the Lord with gladness and with joy. Therefore, shalt thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. He shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he has destroyed you. We recently spoke of the fact that if you were to look at a globe prior 1600, our continent had many nations on it. The Iroquois, the Apache. Where are those nations now? They're gone. If we don't start serving the Lord with joy and gladness, you're going to look at that globe one day and the red, white, and blue will be gone. And this is how it happens according to the plumb line. Look, verse 49, the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth. A nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. They are brutal. Old and young, 
will be slaughtered. Verse 51, he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle, the fruit of thy land, until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil. You will be starving. The increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep, until have destroyed thee. And then it gets worse because 52, he uses a very bad word. He shall besiege thee. That word causes men to tremble throughout history. It's the siege. Yeah, you can stay there and you can do your thing. But you won't be able to leave. And neither will supplies be able to come. And eventually the food runs out. And you start to starve. Some people think that it's almost like a joke that we talk about the supply chain being down. That's not a joke. We're not even under siege. Because look how bad it will get. Verse 53. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters. Cannibalism. And you know what every country that ever fell into this trap said before that happened? Won't happen to me. Babylon the Great. Oh, Babylon, the great wonders of the world. Where is it now? It's gone. Full devastation. The judge reached a verdict. And here's where we hear those eerie words. Many, many, Tikal of Fearson. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. If you look at it in chapter 30, there's even more. Again, we are looking at the plumb line. Chapter 30, verse 1, it says, And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee. And look at the next verse. And shalt return. He doesn't say maybe, and he doesn't say hopefully. You shalt return. And thou shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day. Thou art thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. And you would say to yourself, this is talking of the nation of Israel because there's a specific covenant regarding the nation of Israel. Because it is absolutely miraculous. I am not a historian, but I also know I have never, ever heard of a nation losing its land for centuries. I mean, they were wiped off the map in 70 AD and removed. Israel was completely removed and went into captivity and went into dispersion. There's never been a, ever a government or a land that has returned centuries later. Because we are looking at the plumb line. I thought, though, in Amos, it was three transgressions or for four. 
past the point of no return. I thought pending judgment. I thought, well, it's done and over. Look at verse 11. For this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it afar off. He's starting to talk about the mysteries of the eternal Godhead. He's talking of the portholes of eternity, God's plan. The psalmist says, this is too lofty for me. I cannot take it. But this is the command which I command thee this day. It is not hidden from thee, neither is it afar off. It is not in heaven that thou should say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it or do it. You get the feeling of the mystery that he's, he's not far off. It's not in heaven. Verse 13, neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it or do it. And you think to yourself, wait a minute. Doesn't that sound Pauline to you? Sounds kind of like the words of the apostle. And then in 14, but the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thine heart that thou mayest do it. You say to yourself, that is the Apostle Paul. Now, for, unless you're a Bible student and you just picked that up, you just missed the canons. That's the importance of reading and studying and being a student of the Word of God. Because the men of Issachar knew what to do in their day because they had studied the Word of God and they knew what the plumb line was. But the Word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. That's Romans chapter 10. Look at Romans 10. You'll see the exact quote. Paul is dealing with the nation of Israel in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And look at what he writes in Romans 10, 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. He quotes exactly from Deuteronomy. You want to know what Paul was studying when he was writing Romans? The Bible is the miraculous book that progressively teaches itself. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. And Paul gives commentary on the law that is the word of faith, which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised them from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What is Paul doing? Back up and look. Look at 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel that they might be saved. What is he doing? He's interceding. And actually then, he's doing more than that. Because Paul knows the art of intercession. And he knows the theology of intercession. Because he learned it in Genesis chapter 18. Lord, if there's 50 in this city, will you not destroy it? What if there's only 40? 30, 20, 10. 
If there be ten in this city, wilt thou not destroy it? And here we have the Apostle Paul quoting from the law, bringing the plumb line in his behalf and interceding. My heart's prayer is that Israel might be saved. And Paul knows the idea of the remnant, and he also knows the Abrahamic covenant. Therefore, he uses Bible knowledge. For my people perish for lack of knowledge. Paul doesn't have a lack of knowledge, and he's using the plumb line, actually, in interceding against him. So for 50, 30, 40, 20, 10, will you not let us go? And then look what he says in chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. And how does he know that? For I am also an Israelite, the seed of Abraham. When you go in front of the judge and you know the law, the righteous judge cannot disobey the law. The plumb line is set. Judgment is pending. It's coming. You broke the law. But that same statute talks about mercy, grace, Abrahamic covenant, a remnant. And he says, God has not cast away his people. It is not totally over. Even despite the fact that they were in captivity all those years. The mystery of God and the word of God and the law of God and the covenants of God all will stand perfectly. So much so he knows God has not cast away his people because I happen to be one of them, the remnant. And so, 70 A.D., they came crushing in. And what did you find happen around 1947-48? 1900 years later, there they are. We are not Israel. The United States is not Israel. God never made a covenant with us that will be unconditional and Abrahamic. We have the straight law, and the plumb line is set, and there is no turning back. For three transgressions and for four, a fire, and a nation will invade, and whose tongue you know not, and the siege will be placed, and people will be eating their own sons and daughters, which is a very picture of hellfire itself. Because if you deny Jesus Christ the King, the one who died on the cross to give you that mercy that he gave to Israel, if you deny heaven's darling and his grace and mercy, the penalty paid, the judge put the verdict, the guilty verdict on Jesus Christ and bore out all the agony, all the fury of sin on the cross as he suffered and died. That is your pardon. The law is done. And grace is done. And mercy is done. But only if you accept the pardon. Now close with just one short story of a prisoner. Two prisoners were on death row. 
a man came walking down, disguised as a person of the cloth. Came in to visit the man on death row. Two men on death row, Saul, side by side. The man comes down to visit. The prisoner says, I want nothing to do with your God. I, have, I am a total atheist. I, have, I want nothing to do with your God. Let me die and let me die alone. The next day, the guy comes down again. The minister comes down to visit him in his cell. He goes, son, you're going to die here. Your, your lethal injection, you're going. Are you sure? I want nothing to do with your God, and I want nothing to do with you. Third day comes down. For three transgressions and for four, on the third day, the same minister comes down to visit the man on death row. And he says, son, are you sure that you want nothing to do with Jesus Christ? Are you sure? Get away from me. I'm sick of you already visiting me. I want nothing to do with you and your God. The minister closes the book and leaves. Two minutes later, the prisoners talk. The one prisoner says, I seen you had a visit from the warden. He said, that was the warden? He said, that was the warden. He had a pardon in his hand. Jesus Christ has a pardon in his hand. For someone here today, today is the day of salvation. And now is the time. Thou knowest not what a day will bring. I have the words of life and the words of death. Choose wisely. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.